Hi, this is Matt Shaw, pastor at City Lift Church. If you're in the Fort Lauderdale area, we'd love for you to come visit us on a Sunday sometime or join us online, citylift.church. We hope today's message fills you with courage and helps you on your spiritual journey. We exist just to help people meet, know, and follow Jesus. Enjoy today's message. If you're new here, my name is Matt Rudder, and our pastors, Pastor Matt and Alyssa, they're up on vacation, taking some rest this week. They're up in the great state of Michigan, so we wish them well. We hope that they are not spending their entire vacation chasing around their kids, but they actually get a little bit of rest, probably a lot of chasing kids. But uh, I found out a couple weeks ago that I would have the privilege to be here today and and be able to speak. If you don't like the message, come back next week. The professional will be back. Pastor Matt will be back. But I found out that I would be able to be here this morning, and I was thinking about the verse or the topic that I wanted to preach on. And I decided I'm going to go all in. I'm going to pick my favorite verse of the Bible, my favorite couple verses of the Bible, and we'll see what God has in store for us here. So let's jump into the text, Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. It says, therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's say a quick prayer. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that we get to worship you freely. We thank you for the amazing worship team this morning as they were singing about your endurance, about your faithfulness, about your ability to give us what we need to get through the race that's set in front of us. We pray that you would speak to us this morning, meet us here in general provision in this Sunday morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So like I said, this... uh, this verse here, it, it's been my favorite verse for a while. I think the passion, the excitement that's in the verse, the fact that there's a sports analogy, I was always interested in it. But it began to take on a whole new meaning later on in my life. When I was growing up originally, I was actually pretty slow. I didn't run very well. When I got into high school and I was playing baseball, people would make fun of me because apparently I ran with my shoulder or my, knee, my elbows out. These are elbows, right? Ran with my elbows out and I would look all goofy running down. And so I would occasionally go on jogs and be able to learn how to run through college. And as I eventually moved over to Eastern Europe when I was 21, a small country called Moldova, I started to jog a little bit. And when I was in Moldova in Eastern Europe, I had some friends who said, let's go on vacation. They said, let's go to Athens, Greece. And I liked the idea of Greece. I liked Greek philosophers. I was studying philosophy at the time. So I said, yeah, that's great. Let's, uh, let's go to Greece. And they said, instead of just taking a restful vacation, let's go run a marathon together. And I said, that does not sound like it's a restful vacation. Like I said, I wasn't a runner. So I had to take some time every morning to learn how to run, to practice the, the race, to practice learning how to run short distances that turn into longer and longer distances. And then I landed there in Athens, Greece. And I learned what it actually meant to run a long marathon race. I'd never at that point ever run in my entire life 26 miles. So the first time I was going to try it was going to be there in Athens, Greece. And you get started in the town of Marathon. It's where the whole history of the marathon started. You get started in this coastal town of Marathon, and you're supposed to run up toward Athens, Greece. And it was when I landed there in Marathon that I learned that I wasn't just going to be running 26 miles. I was going to have to do it uphill. 
It was a little thing that they didn't tell you about. So we have an elevation chart here. So this is the elevation map of the Athens Marathon. You get started and in mile one, mile two, you're actually running downhill because you're running toward the water. And you have a lot of people around you. There's excitement. There's crowd noise. You start feeling yourself. You feel like you're going really well. And then miles four, five, six start to hit. And you start slowly making your way up a hill. Again, 26 miles of doing this. And so miles eight, nine, 10, they're pretty tough. As you see, you're running up hills, up hills. You get a little reprieve there in miles 10 and 11. But when miles 12, 13 started to hit, that was about as far as I'd ever run in my life. And so I'm feeling it. And I definitely didn't train running up hills. And so then miles 14, 15 come around. We're exhausted. I'm running with people. They're starting to fall off. They're getting water. They're taking breaks. And for me, mile 16 hit, and my legs completely cramp up. I feel like I can't move any farther. It was probably still is the hardest physical activity I'd ever gone through, where my legs were in complete pain. I still had 10 more miles to go. I'd never run 26 miles. I wasn't quite sure that I would be able to make it. At mile two, when we were running downhill, I had complete confidence that I would be able to make it to the finish line. At mile 16, where I was in pain and misery, I wasn't quite sure it was going to happen. And it took me looking in the horizon, looking toward the finish line where I knew the goal was, and saying, I'm not going to look at these people who are stopping, who are pausing to get water. They're jumping on a Vespa and taking a scooter to the end of the finish line. I'm going to try to focus my eyes on where the finish line is, and I'm just going to keep taking one step in front of the next. And so we've got another slide where eventually I start making it into the stadium, and there's a great crowd of people around me. Yeah, that's me being very exhausted with a great look on my face, trying to run and finish the race well. And eventually I do get to the finish line. I'm trying to smile. I'm not exactly enjoying the experience. That's the best smile that I could have. But I knew that I had my friends around me, I had people around me who said, well done, you finished the race. And that was my goal. That's what I was looking for. And so it was after that experience of running the Athens Marathon that this verse in Hebrews 12, it started to mean so much more to me. And I started to look more into why do I like this verse? What, what is the author of Hebrews talking about when he talks about the race of life, the race of endurance, the race of faith. And in Hebrews, it says that the race of faith, it's all about following God. It's about believing in him and choosing to be a partner with God as we're walking through life together, trusting in him. In Hebrews 11, it says that faith is the assurance of things that are hoped for and the conviction of things that are not seen. When I was running that race, I didn't see the finish line, but I certainly hoped it was coming. I believed it was coming, and faith is that assurance that there is something coming. There's something ahead of us. It's conviction towards something that is not yet seen. In the context of Hebrews here is that the Hebrews book, we don't know who the author was, but we know that it was written to the people of Israel, the the Jewish Christians who were dispersed. They were in a time of persecution. It was after Jesus had died, about 30, 40 years after Jesus had died, And they were being persecuted not only by the Jewish people, but also by the Roman people. And their type of persecution was serious persecution. There were people that were being murdered. There were people that were being exiled. And the writer of Hebrews, he knew that they had some really high highs in this past 30, 40 years. They they had seen the, the Holy Spirit moving. They had seen the Holy Spirit changing the lives of people. They were celebrating something that was brand new, a new faith. 
And he also knew that the people of Israel, the, the, the Christians who were following Jesus now, they had some very low lows. They had seemingly never-ending persecution. Their friends were being murdered. They were being exiled. And so the author of Hebrews, he has this theme throughout the book, and it always is pointing to Jesus. They're saying, Jesus truly is God. At the beginning of the book of Hebrews, he goes into great detail talking about how Jesus is fully God and he's fully man. He's higher than the angels. And it goes through the whole creation narrative talking about how the angels, yes, we, we, we think that they're great, we think that they're marvelous, but Jesus is even higher than those angels that we hear about in Scripture. It's by the word of God, Jesus, that all creation has been made. And it's Jesus who is our high priest. He's the intermediary. We don't need someone to be praying to God on our behalf because we have Jesus who intercesses on the behalf of us to God the Father. And he's our savior. He's the one who died for our sins in our place so that we can have a perfect relationship with God. And it's only by Jesus that humanity is able to be saved, to be able to enter into eternity with God. In the book of Hebrews, it culminates with the peak of excitement there in Hebrews 12. Well, it gets talking about this race, this sporting event of life. The author of Hebrews, he's like that coach on the sidelines. He's watching his players run. He's encouraging them. He's shouting words of encouragement. He's reminding those runners, those players, that there is a goal. There is a purpose to the pain that you're going through. He's reminding the runners that there's something true ahead. There's the goal of running to the finish line and meeting Jesus. He's reminding those runners that there's a reason why they're pushing through the pain, even though it's been a brutal race for many of them, lost loved ones, lost friends. And he reminds them that they're not alone in the race. He says, let us run this race together. You're not alone when running the race. He even says that we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. In Hebrews 11, he defines what he means by that cloud of witnesses. In Hebrews 11, it's called the Hall of Faith sometimes. And it goes through the story of Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Rahab, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel. And talks about all these great historical figures throughout the Bible, how they too had time of hardship, and they too had times where God showed up and helped them to run the race well, run with endurance, and get to the end. And so the question that we have is, yes, we have the calling to run our race well, to be able to get to the finish line, but how do we run the race? And I think that that is what we look at here in the book of Hebrews, and and specifically in, in chapter 12. How are we called to run our race well? And the writer of Hebrews, he makes it clear that we should be intentional about thinking through the technique or the way that we're running our race. And just like with a marathon, finishing the race well requires us to be intentional in the way that we are thinking, preparing our mind, our body, and our spirit. And to run the race well, we have to run with the right pace. That's one of the things that I really have come to love about the Church of CityLift. Been here, is it three years now? Something like that? Yeah, about three years. And when I first entered CityLift, my wife and I came from a different church, a few different church uh, plants and, and different churches that we've been in the past. One of the things that was noticeably different here when I joined CityLift is that Pastor Matt, I told him about my testimony and my past, and, and he sat me down and he created a pace 
for me here at CityLift. He actually put some ground rails and some boundaries about how often I would serve, how much I would be working. He would help me think through how to create the right pace in life because he didn't care about extracting as much volunteer service in a couple of weekends. He cared about me being able to finish the race well. And that's one of the things that we really do care about here at CityLift, being able to encourage one another to be running with the right pace. What do we say in sports about race and marathons and sprints? What do we say? What's the phrase? It's a marathon, not a sprint. Right. We need to be able to pace ourselves, not to start racing a marathon by running out of the gates and sprinting right away and losing all steam. If I'm there on a mile two of that Athens marathon and I'm sprinting as hard as I can, there's no way I'm getting up the hill on mile 16. So we need to focus on what's the right pace for the race set before us. And sadly, not everyone finishes the race of faith. And it seems like in recent years, more and more, I have friends and I have colleagues who choose to turn away from the church. They're deeply hurt by someone in the church, or they're deeply hurt by a pastor or something of that nature. Or they get distracted by some sin in their life, and they get distracted. Just like when I was on mile 16, there were people who looked at all the, the food carts, or they looked at the, they had popsicles, and they had bananas, and they would say, all right, I'm going to take a break here at mile 16. It's really tough for me. I'm going to just sit down for a while, and they would never get back into the race. And I think that we're prone to act like God in our lives. We try to, at times, decide for ourselves what's right and what's wrong, decide for ourselves what's true and what's fantasy, or to decide for ourselves who what and how to worship. And I found that the more often I look to my friends or I look to other people to get guidance on how to run the race, the more confused I end up getting, the more confused the advice gets. And so if we take a look at Hebrews and we look at how Hebrews says we're to run the race, we've got three points, just like a good 90s sermon, they all have the beginning letter of a P and there's a three-point sermon. Again, I'm an amateur here, so we're trying to practice. <laughs> so how do we run this race? Number one, we run with purpose. We run with intentionality. In the writer of Hebrews, there's a seriousness and a specificity to the way that he's explaining we should be running the race that's set in front of us. Again, he's writing to men and the women who are literally at risk of their lives because they call Jesus king. In the 30 years that removed them from the resurrection of Jesus, they're probably wondering, am I even believing something that is true? When Jesus was on earth, he said, get ready, prepare yourselves, because I'm coming back soon. And if I'm there in year 33 AD, I'm thinking, okay, I got a week to prepare myself. I've got a month to prepare myself. Jesus is coming back soon. Let's tell everybody. And then month two goes by, and then year two goes by, and then year 20 goes by, and we're in year 30. And I'm wondering, did we get this right? Did we misunderstand who Jesus is, or did we misunderstand what he was saying? And the writer of Hebrews, he's saying, no, stand strong in your faith. Stand firm. The text makes it clear that as we run, we're meant to look to Jesus as the founder and the perfecter of our faith. It says, let us run, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. And that word founder, it means author, it means initiator, pioneer, prince, creator, and captain. And he's the beginning of the race. He is how we get started. When we become Christians, the foundation of our lives are set on Jesus. And the perfecter, it points to Jesus as the finisher, the completer, and the provider. He's not only 
the foundation where we get started in our race. He's also the direction where we're running. He's our finish line, and he's the one who enables us to get to the finish line. And last night, I was preparing for this message. I was reading through that, and I was going through my sermon notes, and I said, that sounds like something that a preacher would say, that Jesus is the start, and he's the finish line. How am I going to get up in front of these people and explain what that means? And so this is all fresh, and I'm, it's something that I'm coming up on the fly with, but when I was thinking through what does that mean, that Jesus is the founder, he's the start line, and he's the finish line, I think that our purpose is not a destination, but our purpose is a person. And so often I find myself going through life and I'm looking to get to a finish line. I'm looking to either get to the end of my life and tell a certain number of people about Jesus, or I'm getting to the end of my life and I'm having a certain number of kids, or I'm getting to the end of my life and I'm having a certain type of business, or I'm getting to the end of my life and I have a certain amount of success. But I think that that's a very Western way that my mind's been programmed to be thinking about. And when I look into the book of Hebrews and I look into the lives of the people that are being highlighted here in the book of Hebrews, I think the true win is not necessarily accomplishing actions in our life. I think the true win is pursuing a relationship closer to Jesus. And when I started this morning working on this and trying to think through, what if Jesus is the destination himself it clicked to me that when we begin our relationship with Jesus, when we become Christians, we've already won. We've already begun an internal relationship that's never going to end. We're still on this side of eternity. We're going to face destruction. We're going to face mess-ups, and we're going to sin. We're going to face hardships, and the journey is going to be tough. We're going to have those mile 16 moments, but we have Jesus with us. And my goal is to just keep looking at him and running toward him and seeking a closer relationship to him. It's not necessarily to accomplish tasks in life. Those are good things. But the great, the great thing, the goal that I have is to run closer and pursue a closer relationship to Jesus. And I remember when I was running that marathon, how important it was for me to have my eyes on the horizon. If I would end up looking from side to side, I actually stumbled a couple of times. I almost fell because I was looking at the water station or I was looking at a beautiful mountain view. It was when I looked ahead and I couldn't necessarily see the finish line, but I looked ahead to the next corner. I looked ahead to the next ridge of the mountain. That's how I was able to keep pushing forward through the pain. And uh, even the great saints of the Bible, they had their moments where they would end up stumbling. They would end up faltering. And the classic example that we use is David. He was meant to embody the goodness of God and to be a sense of protection to the people of Israel. But the Bible says that in the time when kings went to war, David stayed in Jerusalem. And I think this was more than just a scheduling error. I think David lost sight on who he was called to be and the purpose that he had in his life. His gaze veered for a moment. He looked side to side, and he ended up gazing on Bathsheba, bathing on a roof. And as a result, he fell into sin. He ended up sinning against God, against Bathsheba, against her husband. He ended up killing him. And the thing that I'm always amazed by and encouraged by in David's story is that despite having that sin in his life, despite those shortcomings, God still says that David was a man after God's own heart. And despite those stumbles, those very serious sins, God never gave up on David. His race was affected. He had to deal with the loss of his son. He had to deal with the kingdom. And more importantly, the people around David were affected. They had a harder race because of his mistakes. 
But David chose to repent from his sin. He, turned, he chose to turn away from those distractions in his life. And he regained his focus on the purpose that God set out for him, to lead the people well and to be a representative of God's love in Israel. Acts 13, after David died, it reflects on David and it says, For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, he fell asleep and he was laid with his fathers. I believe that all of us, all of us, have a purpose on our lives for the generation that we're in. We all are called corporately to be loving God and to be representing Jesus to the people that are around us. But more specifically, I believe that each of us have a gift and a calling on our lives that's unique to our generation, that only you can accomplish, and that God wants to bring his kingdom here in Fort Lauderdale or wherever you are placed to earth through you. The best way that we run our lives is to have that purpose on the forefront of our minds. And I know that in my life, the more thoughtful and intentional I am to be focused on my role as an ambassador of Christ, the more likely I am to reflect the character of Christ. And honestly, it's, it's a lot easier for me right now in this season of my life to just show up to work, to just show up to life and go through a checklist, to get to the next achievement, the next holiday vacation, to just start going through the motions. And that's when my gaze starts to get lazy. That's when I'm prone to sin. That's when I'm prone to wander. And for me, the book of Hebrews, and here specifically in Hebrews 12, it's a reminder that we are meant to be focused on that purpose that God's had in our lives, the way that God's created us, the unique giftings that he's given us, and to have directionality, to have intentionality every day. Why are we existing? Why are we running this race? Because Jesus, he's our purpose, and he's our finish line. We're trying to pursue not an accomplishment, we're trying to pursue him as a person, and a closeness to him as a person. So number two, number two is perseverance. How are we meant to run this race? We're meant to persevere. In Hebrews, it says, let us lay aside every weight in sin that clings so closely to us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The author of Hebrews, he, he's calling us to persevere in faith when things get tough. And he explains that the technique of how we're running is important. If you're trying to run a long-distance race, you're not going to be holding a large weight. It's going to be hard to run that marathon if you're holding a large weight with you. And that's how the Bible explains sin is. You're not going to be trying to hold that weight. It's going to slow you down. It's going to keep you even from finishing the race. And the way that the Greeks would run the marathon is they would actually take off any weight that they had, including their clothing. <laughs> they would take anything that was going to trip them up, anything that was going to hold them back, and they would get rid of it because they knew that they had a goal, they had a purpose, and they were relentless to run their race as best as they could. In sin, the, the Bible explains here in Hebrews, it's like a massive weight that's holding us back. In Jesus, he died to break that bondage of sin. But so often, we keep holding on to that sin. We may not have the bondage of being enslaved to sin because through Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, we have the ability to separate ourselves from sin, but sometimes we keep holding on to it, and it clings to us closely, and it slows us down in our race. It distracts us. And that's the picture that the author is using here, that you have to make that intentional choice to not be running with that sin, with that weight that's in your life, but choose to set it down. And as you're setting that weight down, as God's working on you through those times of desert, through those times of trial, we're able to run more easily. 
when we say yes to running our race toward Jesus, we don't even know all the weight that we're carrying around at times. When you first become a Christian, we don't know all the sin, all the baggage, all the brokenness that's in our lives. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, he's revealing to us as we are going through life, you got that weight on your life. You got to set that down. You got this issue to deal with. You got to get rid of that. And as we're going through our race, we start to get lighter and we start to be able to run better. We work on our technique. The Bible details how God uses the literal and metaphorical deserts in life to build endurance in the mind, the body, and the spirit of people. And Moses is one of those examples. He had 40 years in exile, and that 40 years in exile prepared him to lead Israel for 40 years in the desert. Only the Hebrews, they had plenty of sin and baggage that were holding them back. As they were escaping the, the enslavement of Israel, they got confused about what was their purpose. Now Moses, he was clear on his purpose. His purpose was to lead the people of Israel out of slavery into the promised land. It was to establish the kingdom of God on earth in the promised land. But the journey was really tough. In the Hebrews, they would continually forget why they were in the desert. They would actually ask God, if you took us out of Egypt where we at least had food, why don't you send us back there? Why are you having us starve in the desert? They began questioning God. And what did God do? He showed up every day and gave them just enough for that day. He didn't give them a week's worth of feast, but he gave them bread or manna to get through that day. As we're on this race of life, I think that God, he shows up day by day and he helps us to get through that next leg of the race, that next step toward the finish line. It was Moses' 40 years of exile that enabled him to lead people in 40 years in the desert. And I wonder, for those of us who are on this race, going through our own desert, going through our own time of exile or our own time of desert, how is God preparing us to be an example to lead someone else through their own desert, through their own difficult time in life? And if you're like me, persevering through the desert or through a long marathon, it sounds a lot better before you start running the race than while you're in the race. I got excited about the challenge that would be ahead, but when you're in the middle of the race, it gets tough. On mile two, when I started my marathon, I had no doubt in my mind that I was gonna be able to finish sprinting across the finish line. On mile 16, where my legs were cramping, I genuinely didn't know if I was gonna be able to finish. I didn't think I had enough strength and power in my legs to get across the finish line. And that was just a four-hour marathon. Some of us, we go through much longer deserts in life. Some of us have to endure for four days, four weeks, four years, maybe four decades. So how do we run with endurance through that period? I had a mile 16 period in my life a few years ago. It came after about six years of feeling emotionally and relationally distant from God, despite regular prayer, regular scripture trying to seek God. It was after four really tough years in our marriage where I was struggling to communicate, to be able to connect with my wife, to cherish her. It was after four failed business attempts, despite having a solid business plan, solid products. It was after years of trying to work through selfishness and pride in my life where I just didn't feel like I was making much progress. And in that mile 16 moment, I saw that there were a lot of friends that were tapping out around me. They were also going through their own hardships and they chose to walk away from the faith. They chose to walk away from the church. They chose to try to do life on their own. They even walked away from their family, walked away from all their responsibilities. 
And just like that mile 16 that I had in Athens, I knew that if I took my eyes off Jesus, if I chose to stop going to church, if I chose to stop doing what God called me to do, I wasn't sure I would ever be able to start running the race again. I wasn't sure that I'd ever be able to start pursuing a relationship with God again. And so that's why this verse means so much to me. It's that in those moments, I would reflect back on Hebrews 12. I would reflect back just on that phrase, run with endurance. It was in those moments that I would pray, God, I can't run any farther on my own strength. I'm scared that I'm going to drop out of this race of faith. I don't know if I have enough strength to keep the faith on my own. Give me faith. I don't know if I have enough love to keep this marriage alive. Give me the love I need. I don't know if I have enough wisdom to keep my business afloat. Give me wisdom. I don't know if I have enough in me to finish this race. Give me endurance. And what did he do in those times where I was at my point of failure? He would show up. And like the Israels in the desert, he would give me just enough to get through that day or that hour or that moment. He didn't necessarily show me the whole promise, but he would give me enough to get through what I needed. He would give me enough for that moment. He used those mile 16 moments in my life to shed the weight of sin that I was clinging to. He turned me into a different man, and he's continuing to do that through those moments of pain, through those moments of trial, through those moments of difficulty. And he kept his promise to never leave me or forsake me. We sang about that this morning, that he will give us what we need. He will never fail. He equipped me to run with endurance. My last point here is that how God calls us to run, he calls us to run with passion as well. That's the final way that we're called to run this race. In Hebrews 12, it says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us run with endurance. Now, who here played sports in the past? Anyone? All right, you played sports in front of a crowd. You know that when you are running through a crowd or you're playing with a group of people, there's a certain level of excitement and energy and passion compared to if you're doing it by yourself. Am I right? So if you remember back in 2020, when the pandemic hit, COVID was crazy, the football stadiums, they weren't allowed to have any fans in there. What'd they do? They created fake crowd noise. They pumped it into the stadium because people know in order to not have it feel like a practice, you have to feel like there's people watching. You have to feel like there's encouragement. You have to feel like you're not doing this alone. And the writer of Hebrews, he acknowledges that there's power in the crowd. There's power in the encouragement of the saints. And after listing that whole hall of faith in Hebrews 11, he says that we're surrounded by this cloud of witnesses that are encouraging us and pushing us forward. They're cheering us along to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. And in verse 2, it says that it's for the joy that was set before Jesus that Jesus endured the cross. Now, the cross, it was not meant for joy. It was meant for destruction. It was meant to be hard. It was meant to bring emotional shame. And in Jesus' case, the hardest part was that it brought spiritual brokenness. It separated him from the love of God the Father. Yet despising that shame, turning that away, Jesus endured the cross, and he looked at it with joy because he knew by going through that action that he would be able to have a relationship with you and I. For the joy of what was set before him to be able to be in perfect relationship and invite us into an eternal relationship with him, he endured the time being on the cross. And we know how the story ends for those of us who follow Jesus. We know that there's going to be some hardships to bear in this life as we're running the race in front of us. But we know that 
there will be moments of beauty as well. As we're racing toward this finish line, we know that we're looking to Jesus to be embraced by him and to hear those beautiful words, well done, good and faithful servant. And with the joy that's set before us, we're cheered on by the saints around us, not just saints in the past, but the people that are here in this room this morning, the people who call City Lift home. And that's the value that we have as a community here in City Lift. That's the value of lift groups and about to do announcements. This summer, we've got summer socials going on. Why do we care about doing life together outside of Sunday mornings? It's because enduring through your mile 16 moments is a whole lot easier when you hear the crowd noise of fellow Christians encouraging along the way. Remaining passionate or becoming passionate about your faith becomes much more attainable when you're doing so with a community of believers around you. And together, we're celebrating the joy of Jesus' sacrifice. And we're celebrating the joy of that race that's set before us, encouraging each other to go one step further. So in conclusion, I'm not sure if you came here today and you're on mile two of your race, you're a new believer, and that's very exciting. You encourage the rest of us, you bring some life into the energy. Thank you for being here. Maybe you are feeling a time of pain and doubt. You're in your own mile 16 of life. I would encourage you to run with endurance. Maybe you're sprinting toward the finish line. You're on mile 40. I ask you to mentor others. Use the time that God put you in a desert in a mile 16 moment of your life to encourage, to share with other Christians how God is faithful, how he helped you get through your mess. Wherever you are along your journey, my plea for us today is that we would run with endurance. God's invited us onto his team. He's looking for partners in the race. He's given us a clear purpose and a finish line of him, Jesus, opening his arms, asking for a relationship with us. He's given us the power of the Holy Spirit to persevere, to get what we need to get through this leg of the race. He's given us community right here in City Lift that is fueling our passion in our hearts. And with that passion that's in our hearts, let's run with great joy. Amen? Amen. Thanks again for checking out our podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe. Share with a few friends. Thanks for helping us make Jesus famous right here in South Florida. Again, if you're in the Fort Lauderdale area, we'd love to see you sometime. Or as always, visit us online, citylift.church. Have an amazing week.